we are bringing back one of our most favorite topics, Web3 music, very briefly. Uh, ah, we're also making yep. the most of AI while it's a hot topic, uh, telling you how you can build your own startup with AI, as well as looking at the founders of one of the most potential successful social apps of the last 10 years. Yeah, so Nathan obviously has his segment, but um, we keep it a surprise here on HQLA. That's true. That's true. If anyone didn't know, we, we, we try and do our best to not tell each other what we're going to talk about so that the reactions are, are as authentic as they can possibly be. So I'll kick off with that. Um, Spotify is actually testing out token-enabled music playlists, which is really interesting. Um, so basically, okay. you'll be able to connect a Web3 wallet like uh, like your MetaMask into Spotify, um, and you will get to listen to a curated playlist, um, which is created by token holders of four different communities. So there's four communities that are that are trying this out at the moment. Um, so they're all NFT-based um, yep. communities. So they're called Fluff, Moonbirds. Yep kingship and overlord um and so i went and had a look at a few of these projects on OpenSea. um they're they're pretty big there's a few there that are um potentially a few a, a little bit familiar especially for our cross-platform listeners that are listening to another block studios as well wasn't the artist on uh you know like the, the people who had that whole angel baby. Like, fake web3 artist angel baby she, she's a flop yeah yeah right okay yeah i thought it was that um because i went and had a look and i was like oh this is very similar yeah um, so wait, so you're saying that you're saying that for me to listen to the playlist, I need to buy one of their NFTs? Is that what you're saying? I believe so. So you need to own one of the NFTs and you can connect your MetaMask wallet or, um, or another Web3 wallet. Yeah, that's right. And then it lets you um, participate in that community's playlist. So that's, um, that's pretty crazy if you think about how NFTs are basically nowhere near where they were in terms of like the popularity and all that stuff. They've still got um, there's pretty high floor prices. So are you assuming if this is a test case, like if, if this was the end product, I'd say I don't really understand the point of it. But if this is a test case for artists being able to do that and then being able to like pre-release songs and stuff like that, that's wild. That's very, yeah. very good. That's super I smart. mean, any integration that Spotify is kind of doing in that area is really cool because it'll, yeah, um, yeah it'll definitely be something where um, they'll st sort of more and more integrate. A lot of those um, startups and projects that are working in the Web3 music space are actually pretty, like some of them have pretty poor business savvy and everything. So some of them will be taken over by Spotify. Like they'll be trying to do merch as, um, like say a Web3 startup that's specifically focused on merch for um, an artist, Spotify will easily pick that up and just turn it into their own feature. Um, or just true. buy a competitor uh, and integrate Well, that's that. interesting, so, isn't it? You know, on our, as you were mentioning, our cross-platform cross uh, listeners would, would be aware of another uh, project that we're part of called Another Block Studios. And so we've, we've interviewed a number of uh, different project leads or CEOs or founders on, on that particular um, project. And wouldn't it be interesting if some of those got rolled up uh, into some sort of acquisition by Spotify? As you say, we've talked to different people who are doing different things in that world and you're right like imagine if spotify just went and bought all, a lot of the web3 uh startups in all different facets so yeah that's really interesting okay that's cool that was that was a good bit of news well done yeah that one's cool um so obviously 
the uh, a bit of the AI um, stuff. So since we last talked about it, and this is this is a funny one. Since we last talked about it, Google launched Bard. I think that they launched it the day after we recorded um, our last one. <laughs> so it's already already old news. But um, it's a it's I've a terrible. I've actually never heard of it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Oh, there you go. So what happened was they um, they actually launched Bard. They went to test it. Is this a direct competitor for ChatGPT? Yeah, so it's their it's their AI tool for as a direct okay. competitor for um, ChatGPT. So apparently they've been working on this for years, and Google's never really been able to make it work properly. It's too it's I think it's too competitive to their actual product as well. So I feel like yeah. it's something they would have poured hundreds of millions into. And it, it's probably something they didn't ever really want to release unless they were their hand were forced. Exactly. You know, in such yeah. a situation as this. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So essentially it's um it's yeah, it's called Bard, so it's essentially a misspelled Brad. Um and uh, <laughs> and it's um when they tested it out, the day that they um did the launch day and the presentation and everything, they actually tried it and it just wouldn't work. Um which <gasps> actually caused Oh, I have heard about this. Huge market cap. Yeah. <laughs> didn't yeah. They, didn't they, didn't uh, a bunch of people get fired who were working on the project? Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. That's um, that's <laughs> funny. <laughs> Sorry, I, that's very anecdotal, but I feel like yeah. maybe that that's something that I heard. But I could be. Yeah, wrong. that's heaps funny. Um, yeah, no, I mean, a lot of people have been getting fired from Google, so it's a perfect excuse. To, well, that was the thing. Um, like, it was like, uh, yeah, the try. Like, it was like, was it just like convenient timing that all of the you know developers leading that project, you know, took a voluntary redundancy after that yeah. presentation. I don't know. I don't even know that's what happened, but you know. Yeah. Do your own it's also funny because now instead of them learning from their mistakes, someone else has to try not to get fired and not make the same mistake. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think we, we covered it off last time as well, but GPT-4 is integrated into Bing, um, which is interesting. So mm -hmm. GPT-4 being the next, um, the next one up, uh, which is cool. And one of our... Uh, Oldest billionaires Jeff Bezos is trying to buy the Washington Commanders, <laughs> um, which is interesting. So um, and that was bold, not bold. <laughs> yeah, boldest. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah. So yes, that used yes, to be yes. that team used to be called the uh, Redskins, and uh, so it's a football team, obviously. Um, and he's actually hired a an investment firm to help with the bid. So um, it's a really interesting play for his retirement. Uh, he's um, he's really one thing I was thinking about is he's really consolidating his power since. He bought the Washington Post. Um, he's buying a um, a football team. It's kind of like he's getting, um, and he's, he's got his space company. Obviously, he's kind of getting maybe a few powerful people to a, um, a some games and and making a run for the president in the future. Who knows? Um, so that can be oh, pretty interesting. okay, that's a good prediction. Yeah. Is that what what year are you predicting that? Mm, I'm saying I'm going to say what. What year is it this year? 2023. It's too soon. Um, I'm going to say 2028 is yeah, the, uh, you're is right. the big run. It is too soon. Yeah, he's got a, yeah. a few oh, more okay. years of retirement, I reckon. And uh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that could be could be really interesting. I think he's already very powerful. He's already got a house in Washington, D.C., so I reckon that's part of the uh, part of the move. All right, I like it. Okay, okay, good. Great, fantastic news. Um, so in this one, it's more targeted at the entrepreneurs that want to take projects to that next level and um and there's a little challenge at the end for how they can all kind of link together so we'll um we'll keep that one as a little uh little bit of something exciting to stick around for so the first okay um, good i like the a challenge and then next week we can come back and see how people went i like it well i'll, I'll explain a little more as we as we get to it um <laughs> it's um more of a more of a challenge of uh of me telling you about it so 
the um, the first tool that I'm going to start with. This is um, this is really cool. So this is called. I've I've been doing a little research into a few of the um, into a few of the AI tools that people can kind of use to start a business. So this one's called Landbot.io. So it's not actually specifically an AI native tool um, originally, but it's a no code chatbot um, builder. So what that means is you can use it without knowing how to code and put in responses to common customer queries and create kind of a flowchart of all the different uh, conversations that you would have, um, that your your customers would have with your employees, basically, when they're on that customer service level. Gotcha. So um, this customer potentially asks question with these keywords in it, These this is the you know suggested response, blah, blah, blah. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm sure everyone's been on the receiving end of one of those at one point and they've often asked, you know, I mean, for me, I said, if you're real and uh, sometimes they do So I don't know if that's a bot or if that's a, <laughs> you have to bleep that out, you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bleep out. Um, no, it's just, it's <laughs> you got to bleep fun. that out again. We've got to pay for every bleep, you know. <laughs> so I'm sure everyone's, everyone's received one before. Um, I know we've used one per, like for uh, for Facebook Messenger, um, but this yeah, that's really right. Cool. Yeah, Facebook so, have, have had that yeah for a while. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so this one's really cool because it can integrate with heaps of different services. So you can integrate it yeah. with WordPress, Shopify, Webflow, WhatsApp, um, gotcha. Stripe for processing payments, Calendly for Super booking cool. meetings. Um, oh, so Calendly. this one's Sick. yeah. So this one's crazy how how practical it is because most of the most of these things I think they only are built for one platform and then they just stick to that one platform only. Um, so this is really cool. Uh, something Damn, cool about cool. it is, yeah, for sure. It can now so just newly it can integrate into ChatGPT, um, which is going to take it to another level of um, generative human like interactions from your company to your customers. So oh. Or almost the yeah. other, like as in ChatGPT can be integrated with it, and so people can ask questions, and it can actually get like, what do you mean? I don't understand. The integration works like this, right? So basically, it finds the answers um, to the customers' questions on your website. Uh, so it'll find return days, for example. Say you've used Landbot to fill out oh, a bunch good. of different customer questions, but you haven't filled out how many return days do I have? You just forgot that, um, right? And so a customer asks how many return days, it'll go and search for the return days policy and it'll come back and it'll say 30 days um, gotcha. to return oh, that's your product. Great. And it'll, that's really it'll good. frame it as though it's an employee and everything. It'll, yeah. it'll properly yeah, work yeah. that out. Um, so yeah, it'll, it'll kind of say how many days they have to return an item um, based on oh, awesome. what your website says. So, and it'll find other, okay. other things like that as well. All right, so that's, that's tool number one. Tool number two is... Um, Synthesia IO, right? So this is an AI AI video generating platform. Um, and let me just share my screen to show what this is like, okay? So here we go. <laughs> Let's do it. Hi there, Nathan. It's me, your new AI co-host of H2LA. If you're listening to the audio only Verison, you should know that there's also a video of me saying this. Subscribe to the YouTube for more. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so. I have a confession. <laughs> I actually yeah. have seen, I've used this website before. Ah, there you go. Okay, all right. All right. Well, <laughs> you can't be you can't like be crew blown like away. It. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. You can't away. be. No, you... I'm blown away as I was the first time uh, I saw it. Well, I don't know if I was that blown away, but it was good. It's good. I mean, yeah, it was fine. It's pretty cool. So it's pretty cool because it's like a completely new person, right? So for everyone who didn't um, know what was going on there, or you're listening to the audio only, there's basically a completely fake woman that um, is completely AI generated, uh, not a real person at all. Um, 
she had the which it was complete with a video of her saying what we had scripted into it and basically um you can kind of script anything and the ai will will speak um as though they are a a representative of your company which is really cool and so the uses are so there this is are a really combination crazy. of um this is sort of like a combination of like uh that uh what was the uh the photo ai uh, generation uh, platform that we were talking about last week it's a uh, kind of like a combination of the visual element of that. Yeah, yeah. Visual element of that and then text-to-speech. And then, so I guess in my head, I already was aware of those things. So when I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, this is like a natural outcome of that. But I guess exactly. it's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 But it's crazy that they've kind of put it all together. And um, and if I can go further on that, um, there was a David Guetta um, DJ set where he actually used a piece of um, M&Ms. Um, so like he, he generated... Um, using text, um, like he basically put in what would David, uh, what would Eminem say about the Future Sound uh, Festival, right? And um, and then Eminem, he like generated this text by Eminem. Then he put it into an Eminem voice sounder like AI tool, and um, and got that and put it into his DJ set and um, used Eminem's voice in his um, as like an endorsement. In his actual set. Yeah, but it wasn't. Yeah, right. um, but he he had just gone and done that online, so it wasn't like. He had been like he had asked Eminem or anything. He had just gone, found that, um, made it sound like Eminem, put it into his DJ set. So pretty crazy that you can kind of do things like that. You can just copy someone else now and like um, put it into your own DJ. The, the future is here, you know. Um, so obviously, there's a lot of implications there for um, you know intellectual property and everything like that. But um, but yeah, anyway, this is this is not that. This is Synthesia. So. The next um, thing I'm talking about is a protocol. So this is this is called Rath. It's R A T H, and it's actually really niche to to try and find out information about it, right? But it's a protocol by a company called Canaries, um, and it's not like a product that you kind of sign up to, but it's something that you more API into. So it's um, it's basically something where you're taking the product from GitHub and um, and kind of connecting it with your SQL database or your AWS database. And it's a um, it's basically a Tableau competitor. So it uses it's different from Tableau though. So Tableau is kind of like a um, a data analysis tool um, that's kind of very commonly used to um, take data from all different systems. And basically, it's it's like a custom business to business huge um, big data system that kind of analyzes data for you and helps you helps you make sense of it. Um, so this is really cool because. It can take huge um, data sets and turn it into insights using AI instead. So Tableau doesn't really use AI. It just kind of shows you um, shows you raw data and lets you choose what you want to do with the data yourself. Um, whereas this, it's kind of got, it's definitely got all of the the classic, you know, data kind of stuff like taking a series of dashboards and creating the insights. But it can actually help you to create those insights. It can help you to clean data. It can help you to filter data. Um, automatically without having to like I think a lot of people have gone through individual rows in Excel because they couldn't figure out how to change something to a date or something like that so this is kind of an AI which will help you um, to do all of that data cleaning stuff remove the noise and give you something really valuable to work with um, so that's that one my fourth one is um, is called Looker so this one's really cool it's basically a um, something which will help you create a professional design for your business. So it's like a logo maker. How do you spell that? It's L-O-O-K-A. 
Yeah, so this one's really cool. So it'll help you basically, it'll provide a full design template for your brand. Um, it'll generate business cards. It'll create a vertical and horizontal design con concept and kind of show that on a website. Um, so it's it's essentially replacing the full service graphic designer for you know a subscription fee, which is crazy because um, that's like a whole industry that's gone by this one startup, which is really, um, really interesting. So you just put in a few attributes of your business, what you're interested in, what you're trying to do, blah, 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 maybe choose a few colors or something. And then it just speaks yeah, out yeah. all of your digital you know, needs and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. And, um, and one of the coolest ones, this is, um, this is the fifth idea. This is an app which lets you describe your, so it lets you describe your app using text. Um, so you type in um, prompts and it'll design it for you and you can essentially type in that you want to build Uber for hairdressers or Airbnb for dogs. And um, then you describe what you want the onboarding screen to look like, the next screen, really? all that kind of stuff. You type, in, you type in these prompts and it'll create the full design there um, in the style that you prompt it, which is really cool. So it's called Galileo. It's, um, it's really cool. It's, um, it's definitely next level in terms of design because a lot of people can – I haven't tried it um, – but uh, it's it's like a, a waitlist kind of um, kind of an app. Um, so, but I'm but I'm keen to give it a go. I'm on the waitlist, so I'll um, I'll let you know how that goes when we uh, when we get back to it. Um, so, where it gets better than that though is you can take those designs and they can actually be edited in Figma. Um, so you can export a file to Figma and then make your own adjustments, which is um, which is really sick. As in, so just drag stuff around basically and then put it back in. Yeah. So, like Figma wow. being like the design leader of of this kind of area um it's really cool because you can yeah you can obviously export to figma and, and you could make it all in figma drop it into this galileo app and then just tell it what you want it to do with your like design like say you know this button goes to here this button goes to here that does that like in your head is that yeah well i mean i haven't used it? it so i'm not sure about the importing and okay. exporting but i know it can export the um files so interesting i don't want to speak for them but that would be a good idea Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they should do that. Yes. Yes. Um, or I feel like there's a lot of companies called Galileo. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, there are, there are. So it was actually quite, it was, it was quite funny because I was looking up and like it's like the fifth or tenth one down. So it's actually, um, it's called usegalileo.ai. So that's how specific they had to get with the, um, yeah, yeah. They couldn't even get usegalileo.com. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Um, yeah, so in taking all of that, that's not, that's not even the important part. This is the, uh, this is, you know, the challenge at the end. So how, essentially, how would you, all of that's all, all well and good and everything, but how would you take all of that, combine it into a business that actually works? That's the most important part. Um, so if you're, if you're building a tech stack, like it's cool to be like, oh, I'm going to take this, I'm going to take this, I'm going to take this, but like, what are you really building with it? Like it's otherwise... If you're just playing around with it, it's like, oh, this is a bit of fun. Um, this is pretty cool. You'll play around with it for one or two days, and then you'll get bored and you'll you'll like leave it, you know. And then you'll, you'll it'll just be something you knew about, you know. Um, so how can you kind of combine all of that into a business that works? So here's what I would do. I would start with taking well, a. I can and tell we're you getting we're do, getting into. Do you want to hear what I would okay, do? Okay, all right, you go first. Wait, wait, yeah, you, you go first. Do you want to hear what I would do? Yeah, I would do. A cameo but with video but using ai with fake looking like you know you have like tom cruise but it's not quite tom cruise and then you, can, you know it'll build your website for you because you know i don't have to build a website so i'll use Galileo to build a website i'll have a little 
chat GPT AI bot for all the uh, questions that people have. And then I'll just do like uh, fake <laughs> videos of people. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good idea. I think I'm not sure if Synthesia lets you pick. I mean, I haven't I haven't actually um, used it other than for that demo video. So I'm not sure if you can like yeah, actually customize yeah. what the person looks like. But an idea where you could customize what the person looks like and specifically make it look like a celebrity, that would be a great idea because then you could do that cameo idea, right? <laughs> um, yeah. But it doesn't use all five of the uh, of the systems there. Um, okay. So here's what I would start. Uh, here's like something that I just thought of as a as a separate idea. That that idea might be better than this idea, but we'll see. Um, yes. We'll let the uh, let our listeners um, well, people, give us a five well, yeah, star review. Yeah. Right. Give us a five put, star five review. Put your uh, put your answer in the uh, comment. It's exactly right. Yeah. Even if you don't like us, give us a five star review and do a negative review, and we'll read it out on the podcast. Yeah. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> if you really hate this <laughs> yeah. show and you've made it this far, I'm actually surprised. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> yeah. I'm constantly anyway, surprised so... that anyone makes it this far. Yeah, I mean, even if you like it, yeah. Um, <laughs> I know, we, have, we have a lot of fans, Nathan. <laughs> um, yeah, so something that I would do, I would take a data system, right? And um, and I would use that to create the core product, which would be creating an insights business. Um, so the insights business would be something you can sell as a B2B SaaS, so a business-to-business software as a service company. And it could be a bit of um, bit of a consumer data business, right? So one thing I would look at as an area is say there's a bit of slippage in um, in showing in the data in um, in a certain industry, right? So I would go, okay, there are customers that are coming into your retail store, and they buy something and they never get contacted again because you don't have a very good system of keeping track of them. You don't have a system like a CRM which tells you when to call them or tells you when they've been emailed and all that kind of thing. Um, they never get contacted again and they don't remember that you're there. So there's no relationship with the brand, right? So there's a solution here, I think. Um, so you could build a data system that ranks the customers that come into your store. Um, the ones that come in often, you could tell them they're kind of part of a VIP club. You could offer them exclusive, um, products. You could offer them early info on drops. You can offer them blogs and, and extra, you know, information. Um, which your, your standard customers wouldn't get. Um, and then the ones that come in once and they sign up and they only buy one time, you could offer them discounts, you could contact them by text and email um, to kind of build a, a personalized message for each um, customer to say like, oh, you bought this previously, we're actually doing it, here's a discount for if you want another one or whatever. Um, and then that way that they can they can be like, oh, this brand actually cares about me. Um, and there's kind of a, a CRM kind of follow-up system. And so let's say you build that uh, that system in Wrath, um, which is one of those AI tools. Um, then you want to build the look of an app using Galileo. So this is a business-to-business app that kind of your retail store owner can look at and say, okay, these are the insights. So you could design all the dashboards and the way that the business owners want to look at the app and um, and look at the data which is coming from that Wrath Insight system. Um, you could do that, and then you could build the look of the brand using Looker, um, which would be able to show you know all your branding and um, and your graphics and everything like that. Um, and then next, you could have a Landbot chat um, bot to talk to your customers um, 
and on your website and book in a meeting or book in an appointment for your, for the retail store or collect the payment using Stripe, all of that, um, those kind of things. Um, and then once your customer signs up, um, you could use like once your your actual customer signs up to your um, B2B company, um, you could use Synthesia to send out a custom sales video that says like, oh, thanks for signing up to my service. Um, thanks. You know, um, this is, these are the next steps. True. It, in it would be, it would, it would be a little bit funny. Like, it would be definitely very unique to get like a custom video, which had like your name and everything in it. And like a few yeah. things about you and thanking you for signing up and stuff. That would be pretty unique. Yeah. I think it would be, I think it would make it more of a special experience and I think it could be cool. And you could also make it like a sales video and then be like, when you're cold reaching out to people, you could be like, oh, these are, this is a sales idea. Um, like this is, this is what we're doing. This will help you because we've got insights, um, you know, and, uh, and then what you can do, let's say you have something you can plug and play with a system. Like for example, um, you work out how to connect to a few different backends, you know, people have a square, um, system to sign up or Salesforce or an SQL database or whatever. Um, then once you can plug into a few of those, you'll have a few automated, um, systems already that can kind of automatically go in and get people's data and draw the insights sort of more automated. Um, and then once it's doing that, you can just focus on getting all new sales and whatever to your, to your SaaS company. And, um, and so basically it would be like a synthesis of kind of all these five, um, you could build it like that and you could, um, have it all like packaged up into a business and then you could plug and play with all different kinds of businesses. So you could, you know, you could look at different retail, you could like, it doesn't have to just be retail. It could be like a pizza shop or it could be, um, kind of different things. And then it could just be like basically an automated system that, that kind of gets insights on each customer and shows the repeat purchase behavior and all that kind of stuff and helps the business owner to understand their business a bit more. So that's kind of what, what I would build with all those five. Yeah. It's good. It pretty effectively uses them all. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think, like I think drawing them all together, like talking about them is all, is all well and good, but like bring them all together is, is, um, almost a, a unique skill in itself. So yeah, I mean, I think that's what that's, and that's what you have to do if you, so I, that's what I would do in 2023 if I was, um, you know, needed to start a business and wanted to use AI well, tools as my tech stack. All right. I like it. Well done. Okay, so I, I was thinking about what's interesting, what's a little different. Um, and so right now, I guess the stock market is less interesting to a lot of people because it's tracking sideways or down. And so uh, people are potentially looking at other asset classes. People are a bit unsure about property, particularly in our area, with changes in interest rates. And you know, Isaac and I were talking recently about you know fixed mortgages becoming variable soon, and so not knowing how. The market's going to be uh, impacted by that, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's a lot of different things that people invest in, and the the tricky thing about it is a lot of these assets are high priced. The best thing about stocks is that they're uh, generally speaking, unless it's like Berkshire Hathaway or something, um, the the stock prices. And I mean, you can buy yeah, you know incremental pieces of stock anyway. Like you don't have to buy like a single unit and so that's kind of the best thing about the stock market is really the entry point for anybody is really accessible crypto is similar in that regard and so that's kind of cool Um, but then when you start talking about other things that uh wealthy people are often investing in which is stuff like cars watches um jewelry etc a lot of those things the costs the cost required up front is more than the average person can have so 
um, or so it has to offer. And so one of those interesting asset classes, I think, is handbags. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say Rolex. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. too easy. That's too easy. Um, okay, and okay. so uh, this company that we're going to chat about today, we're going to chat about uh, the big players in the luxury handbags slash kind of fashion industry. And there really are only about four players conglomerates in that industry that own basically everything. Can I guess that you're going to talk uh, about LVMH? No. Ah, okay. I'm not going to talk about that. That was also too easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to talk about one and I'll tell you uh, towards the end, I'll kind of like explain why it is this one that I think is most interesting. But the company is called Hermes, right? And so um, have you heard of it? Is that how you is that how you pronounce it, Nathan? Uh, you say Hermes or how it's a French company. So it's, you've got to say it, you know. Hilmers, but I'm not going to say that. That's well, without the, without the H. Hilmers. Oh, yeah. Okay. Maybe, yeah. Okay. And so... Um, <laughs> wow. Well, I hope we have a lot of fresh. Right, it, there's going to be a lot more of this in this next segment. <laughs> I'm looking forward so to I, it. <laughs> I've spelt some of it out phonetically, but some of it I'm just going to have a crack. So basically, Hilmers, yeah, yeah, no that's probably the best way of saying it, is they have they do have four subsidiaries, but probably one of the main differences with them is that they're... Um, they don't, it's not necessarily a large conglomerate, something like, uh, what you mentioned there, LVMH or whatever it is. And, uh, there's even a couple of other ones, which I'll talk to you towards the end. Um, they're very much just rolling up brands, rolling up brands, merging, uh, companies together to kind of create these huge luxury fashion houses, um, owned oftentimes majority by, um, founding families, which is pretty interesting. Um, and so. This particular company, uh, it is majority, majority privately owned. Uh, the class of shares that the family own allows them to have significantly more voting rights than uh, the public shares, and it is publicly listed on the French exchange. Um, and so, and so, or the exchange in Paris. And so, um, you can buy it. And so, that's why I wanted to talk about it. If it was public, it might have been totally useless. But so, I'm, we'll talk about this company and then talk about the handbags as we get towards the end. So, uh, the company have uh, four subsidiaries. Uh, one of them is like a fashion fragrance brand called uh, Jean Paul. Another one is John Lobb, which is a really easy one to say. Um, and so they actually, uh, they're basically a shoe brand, which is really interesting. They were founded by Hermes in uh, 1976. And they do like belts, for example, for 500 bucks, shoes for one to $2,000 women's shoes, uh, about the same price as well. Um, another one, which is interesting is they do silverware and cutlery, which is, uh, under a, a company called, uh, pure four cats. And that was founded in 1820. And, Very confident uh, on that one. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was good. I just said it quick <laughs> enough that you couldn't pick it up. And, uh, yeah. and it integrated in 1993 into the company. And finally, the last one is St. Louis. And so, um, that's a crystal works company. It's really awesome they make like such nice like tumblers and stumware and stuff like that and that's like 150 to 400 bucks per piece and that was founded in 1586 which is pretty crazy but quite recently integrated i think in 1996 into the hermes um, brand so other than that they have their world a little bit in those other ancillary areas of, of fashion and lifestyle um, but very much um, focused on their core business and so their core business is is very much uh, what they would call ready to wear and luxury goods. This is really cool because it's one of those um, companies where they're building a legacy brand. So they're building something that's going to be like a thousand years. They're not building something that's like 10 years and then really big and then nothing, you know? So it's, um, 
it's really long-term thinking. Uh, it's exactly right. And so in the 90s, you'll notice that in the 90s that they they rolled up the crystalware company and they took in that the silverware company. So I think the, the concept there is that, as you said, it's a brand that people are starting to identify with or, or do identify with. They've always got handbags for their wife there. They've always bought your shoes there, whatever it is. And so now, you know, Hermes has realized that. And so um, they're allowing people to kind of integrate it into the rest of their life whether it be on the table, uh, et cetera, et cetera, fragrances, stuff like that. Hermes was started by Thierry Hermes, uh, and he's actually, he was born in Germany. And so uh, he was born in 1801, which is a long time ago. Uh, it's pretty crazy. His mum was German and our father was French. And uh, it was in and around the time of like the Napoleonic War, which is like, in my head, just crazy. Because in my head, that's like another world, like, but yet we still have branded items that had the same brand in that era, if that makes sense. And I think that's pretty crazy head, to think about. That's really weird. Yeah, in my head that like some person knew this brand and I also know the brand. Obviously their perception of it would have been different back then as we'll talk about. But th just that being a link between that those generations is just really strange. Kind of actually talking about just such long lasting. So the family moved uh, to Paris in 1828, so uh, that is 27 years after he was born. And uh, and so basically he founded the company when he was uh, 36, so some you know 10 years or so, nine years after that period of moving back to Paris. And the interesting thing is at that point in time, all he was making was harnesses and bridles for like French noblemen. But he was, from the very beginning, he was known for uh, extreme like quality, quality over sort of price. So it doesn't really matter how much it's going to cost. This is how I'm going to do it. And this is the best possible way, best possible materials, sourcing the materials themselves, et cetera, et cetera. So does that explain the logo? Because I'm pretty sure for, this mm. is completely from memory, but is the logo a horse and, um, and carriage? Yeah, so, it definitely is. That's exactly right. Yeah. So uh, that logo didn't exist back at this point because a horse and carriage was just so common that you wouldn't bother putting it on a logo, if yeah. that kind of makes sense. Sure. Um, but like uh, later on, I'll mention uh, that, yeah, one of the later um, owners of the company, or one of the later family members, I suppose, um, does create and um, trademark that logo. And that's the what you've got in mind there. That's exactly right. And so, um, and chances are that they potentially still make a little bit of that stuff to this day, but uh, I'm sure it's not very much ever contributed towards a revenue stream. So uh, so Terry uh, Hermes, uh, as I said, founded in uh, 1883 at the age of 36, which is kind of older. I guess that's interesting because like, you know, when you're 36, I mean, 36 is a good age. You know, if anyone's 36, all power to you. But me, I'm, you know, 25, 26, and I'm sort of thinking like, oh, that's, you know, that's a real age. Like this is an age where things, <laughs> you know, I don't know, things should be done by this age. But then, you know, I was this thinking guy, about that actually, as you said yeah. it. Yeah, it's the same, it's the same kind of thing because like it's like, oh, it's this age where you should be a lot more confident in what you can do. But then if you're only just starting something, it's um it's really funny. But um but the next in the next segment I'll talk about um a startup which is started by a 39 year old so there you, oh, go. There you go this is great <laughs> empowering <laughs> the mature age <laughs> basically basically prehistoric age at this point you know, so. <laughs> any, any listeners that we did have have now all left um okay so uh it's interesting so then his son charles emile hermes uh they moved the store basically sort of towards the center of paris um or paris sorry and so um, that's the store that's still there right now, um, and and that's pretty significant because that's in that was still so pre cool. the, 
the 1900s, so 1880, uh, and it became their first retail store again, just selling bridle, uh, bridles and, and harnesses and, and saddles and stuff like that for, for horses and stuff. But again, very much just to the elite, uh, starting to catering towards Europe, Russia, North America, Asia, and the Americas, etc. Now, the first that we saw of the, what could be a handbag was uh, what was actually a bag uh, for the the saddles and the harness uh, to carry it around, if that makes sense. So, for example, uh, you might bring your own saddles and, and harness, but it, you might be riding someone else's horse or you might have multiple horses. And so instead of having to carry the pieces, as you would have had to up until this point, uh, they decided they already had their ability to create beautiful leather objects. They decided to make what would kind of look like to us a very large handbag for, I guess, in that era, probably men uh, to put all of their you know, saddleware and stuff like that in, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and so that was in the 1880s, which is kind of interesting. And so Charles Emile is very much known for um, moving the store and creating what's kind of the first instance of a handbag. His son, who's Emile, uh, takes part of his, his dad's name. Him and his brother, they take over the company, and, and that's in the, the very start of the 1900s, so 1902. So about 100 years since uh, Terry was born. I think he was born in 01, I think I said, of, of 1800s. And so they changed their name because they're brothers. They're taking it over. They changed the name from Hermes to Hermes Brothers. And so it's Hermes Ferrez. I think it was how you would uh, <laughs> say it in French back then. Okay. And Great so time. Hermes Ferrez. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, okay, interesting thing. So Emile, right, who is the grandson of the original founder of the company at this point, he goes over to Canada, visits Canada. And I thought this this was a bit far-fetched, but I looked a little bit on the website as well as secondary sources and it was all pretty verified. So Emil goes over to Canada and he sees a, a zipper for the first time, right? In about 1910, okay? So he's been running the company for about nine, 10 years. And uh, he sees a zipper on the front of a military vehicle, might've been on the back of it or somewhere, uh, to. Uh, used to kind of like, you know, the canvas material on a lot of the mir- uh, military vehicles used to kind of close it all in for, for the weather in Canada because it's notoriously cold. And notice that that would be like a great fastener for their uh, handbags to, to keep everything from falling out. Oh, at that point, it would have been their saddlebags. And so uh, he introduced the painted uh, into France. So uh, Hermès is known for uh, first painting the zipper in France and designed the first bags and clothing with zippers in, in that time. And it, it actually became known as, known as the Hermes zipper, um, which is kind of interesting. And so another interesting notable point was, uh, or I guess turning point for them was the ascent of motor, motor vehicles, right? So then in, you know, in the early 1900s, uh, people are starting to use horses less and less, right? And their whole business is predicated on these rich, uh, important people wanting to use horses and then needing their saddles. And that was no longer becoming the case. So in 1922, the first ever actual handbag was produced. And it was just essentially a smaller version uh, of that original saddle bag. And allegedly, uh, Emil, who's the grandson of Teddy, uh, uh, his wife was requesting some sort of bag for her to put her implements in. And so that was the origination, 1922, of the very first handbag by Mets. And it was just, as I said, a smaller version of that uh, original saddle bag for all the you know, saddle accessories that were required back in the day. So then three years later, they made their first ever ready-to-wear product, which was a golf jacket. 
and a golf bag. And again, this was all made out of leather. That was sort of all they knew at that point. And so uh, that was kind of interesting. Other than handbags, Hermes is, is known for silk scarves, which in my head is very random. Um, but I think the, the, the connection is, because they don't necessarily do everything, but they're very much known for their handbags. And there's a couple of specific handbags that I'll mention in a, in a minute. And you might have even heard of them. They're that kind of famous. Um, and I think the, the combination of the two, I think silk and leather are like both probably in that day, as far as like fashion, probably the two best materials you could possibly use is my assumption. And so silk scarves and then leather handbags, I think they're probably the two most popular products they could possibly come up with. And so in 1937, somewhat 12 years later, they came out with the silk scarf. And so that was where you will have seen back in the day a lot of the ladies with like it tied around their head and like a bow yeah, kind of underneath yep. like this. So that was the silk yep. scars. A lot of them were Hermes. Um, and uh, so kind of interesting. Now, around the same time, they made uh, what's one of two of their very first uh, very, very, very popular handbags. And so this one uh, is called the Kelly Bag. And uh, I'll, I'll talk a bit about it in the 50s in a second here because when it first came out, it, it really didn't have a lot of notoriety. And so uh, it wasn't until a particular photo was taken uh, was this uh, bag actually, I guess, part of what is now basically pop culture. So uh, the only other product uh, that's worth noting is a tie. And so they, in, in uh, about 1950, they came out with a tie. Uh, the story goes that uh, one of their... Uh, workshops was or one of their retail workshops was located near a casino and they were constantly getting uh, men who would come in and uh, ask if they had any tie options uh, to try and get into the casino and so they just recognized the market there and they started uh, making ties and uh, as they still do to this day uh, Emil who was the grandson he had a number of uh, children they were all uh, girls and so the, the next person to take on the brand was a guy named Robert Dumas and so he is the uh, son-in-law of uh, Emil which is interesting so he's the first uh, non uh, I guess blood family member to take over the company and so a little bit of pressure on him and so uh, Interestingly enough, uh, the Kelly bag comes in comes into play here. So in 1956, there was a picture in a in a magazine called Life magazine, and it's of Princess Grace Kelly of Monaco, right? And she's holding this Hermes bag, the one that they made in in the 30s, and she's holding it in front of a pregnant belly. And so people uh, saw the photo in the magazine; it, it went viral, it went all all around the world, and so they named it the Kelly bag. And so they literally, I don't know what they originally called the bag back in the day. Because uh, it was, they designed it, you know, 20 years earlier, um, but they totally renamed the actual bag itself to the Kelly bag, uh, and it totally transformed the perception of the brand from at this point being just the elite to now, you know, people who could possibly maybe get their hands on a product themselves. That's a pretty cool piece of um, cultural history there, then, like a it brand is. being tied it in with um, with something a bit historical. Correct. Exactly right. And so uh, there was an issue in uh, about the 60s or 70s where there was a push for synthetic materials. So uh, this is probably the technology uh, had boomed in this area. And so a lot of brands were noticing the efficiencies found and probably some of the benefits um, in wearing um, some of these synthetic cottons and stuff like that. 
But harking back to the original thesis of the company, the runner at the time, the person who was running the, the company at the time, which is Robert Dumas, uh, he was, he was, I guess he was set on continuing to use the natural materials. And so they actually saw, again, as, as with the time with the automobiles, they saw like a pretty significant reduction in sales. Um, but they sort of stuck at their, uh, at their, um, I guess their intentions. And this is interesting because, uh, what it meant was that their products were still expensive where other brands were able to reduce prices using synthetic materials. And so you'd expect, their, uh, you know, operating profit or their net profit at the end would be uh, significantly reduced because of that, because they're trying to compete with products who are able to use all these other uh, materials. And so it's interesting because uh, that'll circle, that'll come full circle uh, when we talk about their financial performance these days. So the final one is uh, the Birkin bag. So in 1984, this, again, there's a little story. So uh, again, it's on. I found it on the website as well, and so a few sources state it. So I think it's real. Basically, there's an uh, actress named Jane Birkin back in the day, right? And uh, she was known uh, for as an actress and also a singer. And uh, she was she would notoriously carry a wicker basket around. Uh, I think the reason being that she could never really find a handbag that was big enough to accommodate everything she wanted to carry. And, I mean, you see some of the handbags these days are absolutely huge. And so um, you can see a need for it. And so uh, the story goes that Gene Dumas at this point, who's Robert Dumas' son, uh, he's running the company at this point and he's on a flight from Paris to London. And uh, she gets on the flight and she, she takes her basket and she put, tries to put it in the overhead locker. And the lid comes off and all the stuff falls out. <laughs> and uh, yeah. and he, he gets up and, and he, you know, I assume, let's just assume that maybe he helps her put all the stuff back in. And then he introduces himself as the, uh, the manager or the director of Vermeer's. Um, and, uh, and they sit down for the rest of the flight and they design what would be the ideal bag for her. And so out of that, initially the bag wasn't that popular. Uh, but quickly enough, it became another symbol of sort of like exclusivity. Once enough, um, celebrities started to use it. It had a high price. It had a uh, high, uh, the waiting list was ex extensive. There's kind of like a, there's a funny scene and I think it's Sex in the City. You know, the TV show. Yeah. Is it a TV show? Maybe. No, it's both. With Sarah, Sarah Jessica there's like Parker. a scene. <laughs> yes. There's a scene in that where like they go to buy one of the characters. I don't know whether that was the TV show, but one of the characters goes into the store to buy the handbag and the lady goes, oh, you know, they're extremely expensive. And the lady goes, yes, of course, that's, that's what I want. And then she goes, you know, there's a massive waiting list. And she says, yes, I wouldn't have it any other way. And so it's like implied, like <laughs> they almost want that because it's like that yeah. it denotes exclusivity, you know? And so sure. uh, they purposely distribute the bags on irregular schedules and kind of like artificially uh, create scarcity around the bags because they could just produce in mass you know, scale, but they don't, they don't want to do that. And so... There was, there's three particular bags that are like the rarest in the world. Do you have any idea how much they would be? Like uh, when you think of like a handbag, what do you think like an expensive handbag would be nowadays? You've got a great job and you, you but these are, these are real people buying them nowadays. Like it, I'm not talking about, you know, uh, people who are just celebrities now, real people buy these handbags. They just save up and they buy them. How much do you think like some of these handbags might go for? I mean, I would say in some of these luxury brands, I would say like, I don't know, four and a half grand or something. Um, oh. and I would say like the top end of the absolute extreme might be like 45 or something. Okay. 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 Interesting. Well, uh, I looked at the top three, uh, variants of this particular Birkin bag. So they obviously make okay. it in different, 
different materials, different colors, stuff like that, right? And so some of them are more rare than others. And so the, <laughs> the most rare in existence is uh, the Diamond Sack Birkin. And it, there's only three in existence. I don't know who owns them, but um, maybe, you know, probably someone pretty rich. And they're crafted in rose gold and they're inlaid with uh, more than two and a half thousand diamonds, right? And it's actually miniaturized and you wear it like as a bracelet. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> and the recommended retail uh, on each, all three of them was uh, more than two million USD um, for wow. that particular product. The most expensive actual Birkin bag was a Himalaya bag. And uh, it was constructed out of, uh, I think it's constructed out of crocodile skin. And they painted it uh, white and, or they dyed it white and gray to kind of look like the Himalayan mountains. Recommend, so this is an actual product at this point. Uh, the recommended retail on that one was $300,000 USD. <laughs> and secondary, there was a secondary sale in 2022 last year uh, at Sotheby's, uh, or Sotheby's uh, auction house. And it went for, uh, I think it was 440,000 USD. So that was an increase, which is pretty interesting. It's only going up. Yeah, which is interesting. And then uh, another one was uh, is uh, the Diamond Birkin, uh, which is, again, a crocodile skin uh, with a bunch of diamonds uh, encrusted into the white gold hardware. And so that one recommended retail was up to 250,000 USD. So you can pay massive dollars for these handbags. Uh, I think just to put it back in perspective, I think you were sort of about right. Like I think recommend a retailer on average one, you're talking more like ten to twelve thousand um, dollars. Yeah, still pretty crazy though. But yeah. yeah, it's a lot of money for for something that you could easily get stolen or you could easily leave somewhere or or, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. So competitors, uh, there's really not that many. There's only five, uh, which is I think interesting. So Chanel, Chanel is the only company that's private. It's one of these large conglomerates. Uh, and so you can't buy it. They're known for things like uh, the little black dress and Chanel uh, number five perfume. Number five, yeah. That's um, what I was guessing. And yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so they're kind of pretty well known. Uh, the first company that is public that you could purchase is called Kering, uh, which is actually uh, a 2004 merger between Gucci and a company called PPR. Uh, which now uh, brings Gucci, Saint Laurent, Balenciaga, uh, all under the one uh, conglomerate. Um, oh, wow, so yeah. The company, PPR, that stands for the initials of a, of a pretty wealthy family in, in Europe. And so they are the largest shareholder in Caring, although uh, it is publicly listed uh, if you would like to purchase some shares. Uh, LVMH, as you mentioned, uh, was a merger between Louis Vuitton and uh, Melly Hennessy uh, in 1987. Uh, market cap, I think it's $300 billion USD uh, when I was looking at it earlier. A lot of brands in this one. So Louis Vuitton, uh, Christian Dior, uh, Dior, Fendi, Sephora, which is a big one. Uh, I think I see that a lot these days in shopping centers and stuff. Uh, Melly Chandon uh, and, and Hennessy itself. Yeah, yeah. What I was going to say is Bernard Arnold, yes, the, um, so, yeah. the guy there. So he keeps um, coming up the lists on the billionaires as the richest person in the world um, oh, really? and dropping back. So he'll overtake, he'll often overtake Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk when Amazon yeah, right. and Tesla are having a bad week um, because his um, shares, obviously, they stay a lot more fixed. They're more retail sales, less tech speculative. Um, and so he'll often kind of stay in the same place at, you know, 250 billion or whatever it is like he'll have some personal net worth which is like most of the value of lvmh 
um and um and then elon and elon and jeff um and a few other people sometimes kind of overtake him and then um yeah but in the last year i think he has been technically the richest person um, oh, at one in the point. world on paper yeah ah. so in um so i, I think what? he's been a few times okay that's interesting yeah, i suppose it says something for investment in that company then um as a, as some sort of hedge potentially on your more speculative tech stocks potentially don't know uh, another one, so there's two others. One of them is uh, Reichman or Richmond, uh, and uh, it has two brands. It's quite new. It was founded in 1988, which is pretty crazy when we're talking about these other brands from the 1800s. Uh, but the brands are, are Cartier and Montblanc, and so I've definitely heard of Cartier. Um, and again, largest shareholder is the Rupert family, which are the original founders. But it is public. You can purchase that one on the stock exchange. Uh, and L'Oreal. Uh, it was founded in 1909, and uh, the only really notable brand I could find within their portfolio, although there are a few, is Giorgio Armani. Um, and so that's a public company. Again, the founding family owns majority shareholder in that company. So the thing that's interesting about Hermes, and the reason that I wanted to talk about them, is their current net profit margin and uh, an interesting uh, collaboration they've done uh, with a guy named Manny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so in regards to financial performance and people might be most interested in this. So talking about 2021, because that's where I could find all information for every company. Uh, it's interesting to see that the largest, as you say, is uh, LVMH uh, by far, almost double their competitor. So they're their nearest competitor. So LVMH is somewhere in the $65 billion revenue range uh, annually. And uh, L'Oreal, which is actually the next largest, is 38. And so a significant uh, increase there. Caring. Uh, which was the company that owned uh, quite a number of, of well-known, uh, you know, your Gucci, your Balenciaga, Saint Laurent, for example, right? Uh, they, uh, 20 billion, so somewhere around half of L'Oreal uh, in, in annual revenue. Uh, and then Hermes, all the way down at just over uh, 11 billion. So kind of smaller in regards to uh, annual revenue, but the interesting thing is the net profit margin. So LVMH, 20%, L'Oreal, 14%, Kering, 16%, Richemont, 10%. Now, Chanel, 36%. But A, private company financials might not be totally correct. B, private company, you can't invest in it anyway, right? Yeah. But yeah, yeah, Hermes, yeah. not necessarily private company, 30% net profit margin. So that's his net profit margin here. There's not like operating profit, gross profit, net profit margin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty impressive. So they took him 3 billion from that 11, uh, which is pretty cool uh, thereabouts. And so, A, I think very interesting company in regards to profitability. And that's kind of interesting thinking back to the original time where uh, they were really quite unprofitable because they were sticking to their guns and using natural materials where everything else was going synthetic. Whereas you'd say maybe now people are probably swinging back the other way and wanting natural materials to a certain extent. People don't necessarily like chopping up cows so much nowadays though. Um, yeah. uh, so handbags, uh, I think it could be an interesting uh, asset product, uh, asset uh, class. Uh, for example, in the 80s, you could buy a Kelly bag for 4000 Now it's worth about 10000 uh, in the secondary market. Uh, Birkin bag, again, bottom of the range sort of thing in the 80s was about 2000 in today's dollars. Uh, today, that same bag, somewhere around 10000 uh, And so um, there's certainly general increase to be made there. Um, 
there's probably I was having a look online, right? I was like, okay, surely someone has done the thing where you all you know go in together, you pull your money, and you buy a handbag, and you yeah and fractionalize I, the yeah fractionalize handbag ownership. But I can't find anything anywhere. So uh, that's a potential industry ripe for uh, disruption. Um, you could you know combine a little bit of Web three technology there, maybe some sort of DAO, and uh, go out and buy yourself a Birkin bag. Although the only issue is Birkin bags are very hard to actually purchase because buying them from the store, they won't necessarily just sell them to you. They'll tell you there's a waiting list. And if they don't like you, they'll tell you that there's a locked waiting list and uh, you may not ever be able to purchase one, which is a very interesting concept. So secondary. Very similar to um, Rolexes as well. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the only other thing that I think makes this company quite interesting is uh, a collaboration that they did. So they have uh, a department which basically f- for particular customers will do anything. Uh, so you come to them with a project that relates to what they do. So it relates to use of leather product for the most part. Um, and they will most likely be able to do it for a price. And so uh, a guy named Manny Koshman, uh, who uh, lives in California, in, in, uh, Los, in, in LA, uh, so I think it, I think nothing is I think nothing is in LA. It's uh, he lives in uh, Orange County, which is about two hours south of of LA, and he's he's a property developer, uh, fully self made, and he did three collaborations with Hermes, uh, and I think we should probably put the photos up. First one is a Bugatti Chiron, uh, fully redid the whole interior. Second one is a McLaren Speedtail. Oh, I've seen this. That's pretty. Yeah, and yeah. And the third one is a Pagani Hira. Uh, and so, yeah, real estate investor guy, he, he approached, um, he approached them and, and got three collaborations with three different cars. Yeah. I've seen this guy on, um, YouTube. He's pretty funny. He's, um, he shows off his, uh, collection and everything on, um, on his YouTube channel. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, I think, yeah. It, I think it is funny. So I didn't, I never knew what he did. And then I, I tried to look him up a bit and I found he had, his, he had a bio on one of his websites somewhere. And so it listed him being a property developer XYZ and, uh, a few sources, like noted his net worth at about 80 million. And I thought, well, I mean, 80 million is a lot of money, but 80 million is not that much money when you see how many cars he has. Yeah, um, yeah. Like he has probably $20 million worth of cars, maybe even more. And so I think the intention behind them is that they're actually appreciating assets. If you look at the types of cars he purchases, they're, they're quite unique. And so I think that's his approach because if they weren't, that would be a little bit scary, uh, like if they were really quite depreciating assets. But I think the idea is that he invests 20%, which is such a large portion of his net worth, right? A quarter of his net worth is invested into what is basically car, like vehicle investment, which is really interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sometimes online as well, and there's, the, some, um, there's some pretty inaccurate um, net worth estimates yeah. as well. Like, yeah. That's, a, that's also very true. He might be worth significantly more. So yeah, Hermes, uh, interesting company. As I said, you can buy them on the Paris Exchange. Uh, great net profit margin. Uh, some really interesting custom um, projects and a really interesting uh, story and uh, some interesting products. Would I ever buy one of their products? I think the answer is no. I think it's a slippery slope in my head. Uh, I think once you buy a product like that, I think you continue to feel the need to buy products like that. Um, and and so I don't think I would want to. Like I kind of like the idea of just like buying simple things, um, but a lot of people love it, and so they don't need my business. And so yeah, good company. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The founders of Instagram are back. 
um, and they have a new startup oh. called Artifact. So this is uh, this is really cool. It's like TikTok, but for news. That's interesting. So, um, yeah, so this would be pretty cool. So I've been using this for the last couple of days, and I actually really like it. It's um, if you're if you've just been using Twitter as a source of news, um, and you don't like the negative comments, then this is a game changer. So let's start with a little little context, right? So Kevin Systrom and Mike Krieger both started Instagram in 2010. And so we all know um, what it is by now. It's been 13 years since um, since it came out. Um, so it's definitely one of the most popular social media apps. Uh, and it definitely, like, it definitely was the most popular one at one point in time. Um, and so basically... I wonder if it still is. Yeah, well, I think, I think TikTok is uh, more in terms of monthly active users because mm. I think that's the the standard comparison. Um, but today, Instagram has 1.2 billion monthly active users, which is really interesting. Um, and so I'm not sure if they're the top um, at the moment or um, if they're second or third, but um, I think WhatsApp counts as a social media um, and I think it has more yeah. than um, Instagram <laughs> as well, or it's definitely had more at some yeah. point. Um which is heaps interesting, yeah, but it, it definitely. Is, I think I think both TikTok and WhatsApp. Um, I think are both pretty like popular in some of these Asian countries, and so um, I think that helps. I think Instagram probably a little less so, and so I think that's probably their main downfall. But yeah, they're definitely massive. exactly. But um, but if we're talking twenty seventeen to twenty nineteen, I would definitely say strong chance yeah, that yeah, it was yeah. the the most yeah. popular yeah. social media. Um, so. If we go back in time a little bit, the first photo was posted by Mike Krieger, the co-founder, um, along with the yeah, so the other his other co-founders, Kevin. Um, so the first photo was um, posted by Mike. I think it's of his dog, um, and that was on the sixteenth of July, two thousand and ten. And so in twenty in February twenty eleven, um, so just the next year, uh, they raised a Series A of seven million at a valuation of twenty million dollars. Um, and in April 2012, they raised 50 million at a valuation of 500 million. Now, here's something interesting. Also in April 2012, they um, agreed to sell to Facebook. And so Facebook um, agreed to buy the company for $1 billion. So the people that, um, so that, that was basically a $300 million in cash and $700 million in stock. Um, and so that deal ended up closing in September 2012 just before Facebook went public. Um, so essentially, the investors in April 2012 doubled their money. So I'm not sure exactly when they um, when they invested in April, but Facebook agreed to buy on the 9th of April, which means that the investors that invested in April 2012 doubled their money in less than nine days. Um, so <laughs> any time between nine, because they, they raised at... Um, that 500 million valuation 500, and, and then, then sold it. and yeah, then sold for a billion, billion. Um, in the same That's crazy. Um, short period. Um, but it was only the year before that it was valued at 20 million. So there would have been a few um, much luckier investors. And that's where you see some of the, I guess, some of the richest tech guys around nowadays are probably those guys who are in the 20 million round. Exactly. And um, it's really interesting. Jack Dorsey was actually one of the um, investors in that $20 million round. So he's the um, founder of Twitter. Um, so obviously he thought uh, that would be a big idea, bit of um, bit of competition, but you know, um, maybe not. Maybe he didn't think like that at the time. Um, and uh, I mean, people people use both, so it's not really. Um, so both of the founders left Facebook in November two thousand eighteen, uh, which is heaps interesting because most founders actually leave Facebook once their company gets acquired, which is um, 
says something about the culture, I think. Um, so I think there's a real disconnect there with, between maybe the large corporate Facebook versus um, the small startup that the founders have built. They're giving up a lot of control as well, probably to probably giving up control to a middle manager at Facebook who is now their boss when they were the CEO and they were, you know, they thought of themselves on the same level as Mark Zuckerberg. Now there's 10 layers between them and Mark, you know, say it's probably, it's probably that I'm not, I can't say for sure, but um, the same thing happened when um, they bought um, Oculus. So the um, company that makes the VR headsets, the um, founders also left after their acquisition. I'm assuming there's also something in them that's like, we have to build a company. We're not building anything here. Um, and there's potentially, yeah, a, you also um, expect that those types of people would just want to move on to the next thing. Exactly. And also, ready to go. yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And like, what's the point of working for someone as well? If they, um, if they already have all this money they're they're not really working for their salary, especially once the, once their stock vests, um, because there's a certain period where they can't actually get paid out all of their stock from selling their company. And so they're probably just waiting there for all their stock to vest, which is, um, which is kind of funny. Um, so back to back to artifact. Um, so it's marketed, or at least um, it's commented as like the TikTok, but for news. Um, so it starts out with this. Um, it starts out with this page where you can click on what interests you're like, what you're interested in. Um, so you can click on soccer, U.S. politics, TV and movies, stuff like that. And um, and then once you get through, you have this really clean display of articles um, in this for you page, which is really cool because it's. Um, it's sort of um, yeah, a bit like TikTok. Um, so you click on one, and it takes you through to the publisher or newspaper's page, um, and in within like Artifact's kind of interface. So you can kind of see um, it's almost like you're using a web browser to click onto someone's um, page, almost like a, a Google Home screen, um, but it's only the articles that you'll like. So it's really interesting. So you'll go in through there. Um, there'll be no username and sign up part like process in, um, artifacts. So like, as I signed up, I just downloaded the app, selected my interests and I was already in the, in the page. Right. And so then how, so I was thinking, oh, that's really interesting. I didn't have to make an account. I didn't have to do any of this. And then, um, so yeah, it's, it's really cool. You just start using it. Um, and then it says like, I, I went to the profile section because um, it's making a profile on you um, based on your your preferences and what you like and everything. So I went through there and it says, oh, if you want to save your preferences, you can enter your phone number um, and it will save you. And then you just have to enter it again next time. Um, so yeah, the whole sign up process was phone number and verification code, which is funny because it wasn't like first name, last name or email address or anything like that. Um, so that was, that was kind of cool. Um, I really like the low touch um, aspect of it. Um, yeah. And, um, and so basically you, um, you get through, you can, you can choose to, um, include your subscriptions that you already have. So you can choose to include the wall street journal and Bloomberg and stuff like that. Um, but if you don't include those, it'll kind of automatically exclude all the articles that block with paywalls and everything. Um, so on your for you page, that's cool. Yeah. So on your for you page, it won't like, if you click through to an article, you're not going to get a paywall or anything like that. So that's good. um, I reckon that's That's a service in it. That's a service in itself. Exactly. Because like already you're on Google and you just type stuff in like, I don't know, you type up something, you know, has happened and you want to read an article on it. And so many of them, you click them, paywall, click it, paywall, click it, paywall. You're like, just give Mm. me one without a paywall. So that's actually so good in and of itself. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. 
Um, and so, yeah, obviously, if you have that subscription, then it'll um, it'll add it, and obviously, it won't have the paywall and everything. Um, and you can kind of sign in through through the app to your subscription. Um, so it's um, it's pretty cool. So I actually got one of the news sections from it, um, that Spotify uh, Web three story. Um, I saw that on Artifact when I because I selected crypto as a um, as an interest, which is really cool. Um, so you may have been wondering why it's like TikTok for news. So the reason is algorithmic predictions. So there's a lot of hype around AI. And another word for algorithmic predictions is artificial intelligence-based estimations um, or guesses. You know, it's like uh, it's like using AI to estimate what um, your preferences are, which is really cool. So basically what this means is there's a system which is taking how much of an article you've read. Um, it uh, takes that and it says which it takes which articles you click on and it conglomerates all of the categories and topics. You have a really cool stats page, which shows you all of the um, topics that you like most and the publishers that you like most. Um, and it's actually an incredible, uh, incredible idea because it's like um, taking what YouTube and TikTok have done really well and been doing for years and applying it to the news that people read. Like it's just such an obvious product um, in hindsight. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, this is actually a really good idea, obviously. Like... Um, but yeah, it's it's obviously you, you don't think about it until someone else has done it already. Um, so a few of the future features will be um, sharing with friends, seeing what they're reading, what they like, um, and telling the system whether you like an article or, you, I mean, you don't like an article or you don't like a publisher. Um, you can kind of um, cut that out of your feed forever. Um, the stats page is obviously really cool. So yeah, obviously it shows you what your kind of percentages of um, everything you've read are and, and all that. Um, you can see where you're up to in certain articles. You can go back to your history and see, oh, it's 32% read. You can click on that. It'll take you to 32% of the way through the article and you can keep going. Um, oh, that's great. And that's uh, so, yeah, it is it is really cool. Um, and so basically it opened up to the public on the 23rd of Feb, which is three days ago from when we're recording here. Um, with yeah, And right. that's – so it opened up with no – um, waitlist or phone number. So before that, it had been open for all of Feb, I think, with a waitlist and a um, bit of exclusivity. Um, so now it's opened up to the public. So it's sort of an official launch sort of three days ago, um, which is really cool. It's really hard to see any data on the real funding of the business or anything like that. But um, I would actually, or like when they started working on it or anything like that, uh, I'm assuming all the founding stories and all that stuff will kind of come out over the next couple of years as it becomes a bit of a, a success um or a failure but probably won't be a failure um it uh or you never know i mean um but i would also assume that they've kind of funded it themselves and built the team themselves and all that kind of thing because of the they would all, yeah. already be sitting on huge piles of cash so like they can just own 100 percent of this um second yeah. business which is cool um yeah and so yeah there'd be um there'd be something there. So both of, I think both of the co-founders are 39. So they've been um, obviously founded Instagram 13 years ago. Ah, yes. um, they have done something second. really fairly significant yeah. prior to this, but yeah, that's cool. Very significant. Yes. Yeah. So 39. that was my, um, that was my comment on age like from before. That's cool. Yeah. So if they get another hit, yeah, yeah, that'd yeah. be really cool. Like There'll be dual startup um, hits. Very so cool. the main things they had three factors yeah. that they wanted before they wanted to build a startup. Um, and so this is before, before they built a new company, they wanted 
a big new wave in consumer technology, a new way to connect that wave to social technology, which they're still really wanting to build in that area because they're passionate about it, um, and an idea of how their product could solve a problem. So that's their that's their three factors. And then once those three factors were met, that's when they would create the app. So this is their idea based on based on their three three pronged kind of philosophy, which is cool. Um, so next up, I'm going to talk about a competitor which I've found, which is also very recent. Oh. Um, so this is cool. This is um, this is heaps interesting. It's, there's a competitor called Ren, um, and it's actually really hard to find something about this company online. I think because there's already a cryptocurrency called Ren, um, and so it might be oh. it's like a it's I've like a similar R-E-N. name. Yeah. So when you're trying to find that um, specific thing, you look up Ren News. And it'll come up with that crypto. So, I mean, I I think they should rebrand, but um, yeah. that's just me. Um, or they just have to get better and and rank higher. Um, but uh, <laughs> obviously, obviously, hardly any competition. But um, no, it's it is a competitor. So part of their point of difference is that they're a little bit more like LinkedIn. So this is a bit of a niche. Um, so they'll look at the news which is related to your network. So you import your LinkedIn or your contacts, um, and you get news about your clients or the people that you know um, in a shortened, summarized article. Um, and it'll tell you which kind of what they, what news they've been in. It'll use AI to, to shorten those articles and tell you about. So one of the use cases on their front page is about, you know, oh, this guy raised one million in a startup round and he's your friend from your contacts. So obviously it's more for business leaders who are already in this high position because like, most people don't have, I think it's like such a funny thing to build a startup around. Yeah. Everyone has a friend in the news and, um, and all of these people will be in their customer yeah, right. of news, you know, so it's definitely <laughs> very, very high end. I'll link um, mine and there'll just be nothing in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And so the whole idea is you build, you have a, a big network and then each time your network gets mentioned, you get a feed and then you can press reach out and it'll say, congrats on raising a million dollars in this round from whoever. Yeah, cool. And it's like an automated system. So it kind of sends a sends a message. Um, yep. Yeah, so back to um, back to Artifact. Overall, I think it's really like a really cool idea. Um, can it get big? I think a lot of people use the, um, a lot of people read the news uh, and this helps, helps to like make it better. Um, it'll let you discuss with your friends in the future. Um, so I think that's cool. I think without the mass disagreement of an argument of Twitter, maybe it won't be as viral as, as Twitter or Facebook or Instagram just because of the lack of disagreement that people see because people, that goes that helps stuff go viral. Um, but at the same time, making yes, an app right. where there's no ability to have negativity, I think is really cool. Um, and um, so maybe not as viral, but definitely more useful and um, and kind of a nice, it's a bit nicer than a social media, for example. So yeah, those are my thoughts. Yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a nice change. Um, uh, I, I think there's, I, just, I don't think it could ever be as big as Instagram because I just don't see like people want to take photos and put them up. Like everybody wants to do that nowadays and people have started to learn how, how to use it and more and more generations are becoming tech savvy are able to do that. Um, te- like news, like I just think there's a certain type of person who just doesn't care about the news. Um, exactly. And yeah. I, I don't think you, and so, yeah, I think you're just very much targeting a, a more specific audience, but I think it's a huge audience still. And I think it could still be absolutely very successful. 
I just uh, I don't think it would ever overshadow um, what they've done with Instagram. But yeah, it's actually cool. I'm going to sign up. I'm, I'm going to you know read some article. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Um, I recommend it, and uh, I'm keen to see where it goes from here. So, yeah, love it. Nice. All right. So in this episode, we brought back Web three music. Um, we uh, we learned how to make the most of AI. We learned about Hermes and um, some of the uh, very expensive handbags you can get from there, which is cool. And um, a social media app that is back. Well, the founders that are back anyway. So, yeah, pretty the founders cool. Are back. Love it. Yeah. Till next time. Till next time, indeed. 